There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to episode 43A, a very special episode of the History of England and a new direction for us. Because this, although it sounds just like me, is in fact not me, but is in fact a guest appearance from Melisande, who has written this week's episode. There are lots of characters I've come across as we've gone through who I've just not had time to talk about much, a problem which is only going to get worse as we get more and more material. So I thought it would be good for someone to help me cover some of these other characters. Now since Melisande has a great blog about women in history, I thought it would be good to ask for some help. And so here it is. Melisande's blog, by the way, is womenofhistory.blogspot.com. There are loads of histories and links and loads of great stuff there, so go and have a look. I've put a link on the website. So this is the history of Elfrith, Queen of Edgar of England. Born around 945, at Lindford Castle in Devon, Elthrith was the daughter of Aldgar, Alderman of Devon, who lived between 963 and about 971. Her mother was a woman who was said to have been a member of the Royal House of Wessex, variously named either Wolfrith or Elfgifu. In fact, no contemporary source lists her mother's name, though some mention that she was buried at Davistock in about 981. Elthrith's father was one of King Edgar's aldermen. What's curious is the relationship between her father, Ordgar, and his predecessor as Alderman of Devon, one Ordmer. Ordmer's daughter was called Ethelflaed, and she became the wife or concubine to King Edgar, and therefore the mother of their first son, Prince Edward. So it looks as though there's a pre-existing relationship between the Royal House of Wessex and the House of the Alderman of Devon. And it's going to be interesting to see what this early relationship means for Elthrith and Edward in the coming years. Now Ethelfrith's father was no doubt as ambitious as any of his predecessors. One of the most powerful men in the land at this time was a man called Athelstan Halfking, whose soubriquet might indeed suggest just quite how powerful people thought he was. And so, in 962, Elthrith was married to Ethelwold, alderman of East Anglia and the son and heir of Athelstan Halfking. Interestingly enough, given that Elthrith marries King Edgar later, there is some mention that Ethelwold may have been the foster brother of King Edgar, because when he was very young, Edgar lost both his mother and his father, 
and was placed into the care of Athelstan Halfking. Whatever the family ties, the marriage was both a political and a military alliance between two powerful kingdoms, which was how most marriages, of course, were viewed at the time. Ethelwald succeeded in East Anglia after his father retired in about 956, and he was certainly active in the administration of Edgar's kingdom and was named in a charter as early as 940. It's been suggested, not yet proved, that this may have been Ethelwald's second marriage, and that Elthrith was therefore much younger than her husband. Now in addition, William of Malmesbury, the chronicler, claims that Elthrith and her family were tricked into the marriage with Ethelwald. It seems that Ethelwald was sent to her father to propose marriage not on his behalf, but on the king's behalf, the claims of her great beauty having reached the ears of the king, who was on the lookout for another wife. But instead, Ethelwald proposed himself as the bridegroom, and then he went back to King Edgar and reported that the claims of her beauty were terribly unfounded. The king was apparently satisfied with the tale. However, when she became pregnant with her first child, Elthrith also became aware of the deception, and her love for Ethelwald ceased right from this point. King Edgar also became aware of the deception. Edgar visited the couple, despite Ethelwald's vigorous attempts to put him off. And after he'd arrived, Elthrith appeared before the king in her finest arraignment. It was only then, claimed the later chroniclers, that the couple became so enamoured that they decided they had to get married just as soon as they could. Elthrith and Edgar were apparently at very comparable ages. So Ethelwald was invited on a hunting trip by King Edgar, and William of Malmesbury claims that Edgar killed Ethelwald with a javelin to the back. The year isn't entirely certain. However, after witnessing several charters in 962, Ethelwald's brother Ethelwyn now appears on the charter as ducks. While Elthrith is never incriminated in the murder of her husband, Edgar clearly is implicated. Elthrith then married Edgar in about 965. It should also be remembered that Elthrith's family held land in the southwest, and Edgar no doubt married her to consolidate his newly won position as king. She was referred to as his new wife. She was endowed with lands in Buckinghamshire, and she would be named as queen in Edgar's charters. Now Edgar had actually put aside two wives, and he had a son, Edward, by his first wife, Ethelflaed of Devon, now abbess of Wilton. William of Malmesbury further claims that Edgar may not have actually been married to any of his previous wives. Others claim that the marriage with Elthrith was controversial, and that Elthrith and Edgar were too closely related. However, none of them unfortunately elaborate exactly what those ties were. However, if we have to guess, then it may refer to the relationship between Elthrith's father, Ordgar, and Ethelflaed's father, Ordmer. Maybe they were in fact brothers. As the wife of Edgar, Elthrith is named as the mother of Edmund Atheling and Ethelred. Ethelred, of course, later to be Ethelred II of Ethelred the Unready fame. Her eldest son, Edmund, was christened at Winchester in 966, and he appears as his father's heir, as witnessed in the refoundation charter of the new minster in Winchester of the same year, where he's called Legitimus Cleto, i.e. Legitimate Heir. Now, there are no established laws of primogeniture at this time, that is to say, the inheritance from father to firstborn son. So following the death of her first son Edmund in 971, Elfrith argued for the succession of her son Ethelred in favour of his elder half-brother Edward, whose mother had never been anointed queen. But she failed to win that particular argument and she was overruled. Now although Edgar succeeded to the throne, he was not immediately crowned. 
Sir Dunstan, the exiled Archbishop of Canterbury, had strongly disapproved of Edgar's earlier way of life. Edgar wisely recalled St Dunstan, made him not only Archbishop of Canterbury, but also his closest personal adviser. So there was then an imperial-style coronation for both Elfrith and Edgar at Bath in May 973, and they shared the anointing ceremony. This was a very new and important act. After the ceremony, Edgar received the ceremonial submission of all the other kings in Britain. And you can find out more about that in episode 13 of the History of England. Edgar can be thought of as the first king of a genuinely united England, i.e. he allowed his Danish subjects to retain their Danish laws. Edgar's reign was considered peaceful and prosperous. He encouraged trade by reforming the currency and he improved defence by organising coastal naval patrols and a system for manning warships. Both Elfrith and Edgar promoted and patronised the new monastic movement. They gave lands to the monks and nuns and Elfrith commissioned a translation of the Rule of St Benedict and was instrumental in the foundation of Werewell Abbey in 966. The unexpected death of Edgar in 975 at Winchester, aged just 32 years, prompted a succession crisis. Edgar hadn't left any specific provision for the succession. Again, remember there are no laws of primogenitor. And Ethered had never been formally named as his father's heir after his brother's early death. Elfrith and her allies made a persuasive case for the succession of the seven-year-old Ethelred. The whole country was thrown into confusion. The two pillars of the monastic reform movement were on opposing sides. Ethelwald, Bishop of Winchester, supported Ethelred, while St Dunstan, Elfrith's sworn enemy, supported 15-year-old Edward, whose custody he maintained. And the nobles too found themselves divided. Though, of course, these two sides may have been determined according to family alliances as much as the worthiness of the two young candidates. And in this struggle, Elfrith was ably supported by her brother Odolf, Alderman of Devon, and her kinsman, Althea, Alderman of Mercia, though she was fiercely opposed by Athelwyn, brother of her first husband, Athelwald. According to the life of St Oswald, young Athelred seemed to be the more pliable of the two, while Edward was said to inspire distrust, even fear, due to his cruelty. But despite this, it was Edward's faction that won the day, and he was crowned King of England in 975. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle of 975 said, His son, a stripling, succeeded them to the throne. The name of the Prince of Earls was Edward. Then praise of the ruler fell away everywhere through the length and breadth of Mercia, and many wise servants of God were expelled. Unrest and resistance continued. The same year as Edward's succession, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle records that there was a comet which preceded great famine and other manifold commotions. Laws were broken. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle mentions attacks on monasteries by the nobles. The Liber Eliensis also talks about the lands of some of the monasteries established by Elfrith and Edgar as being seeds. This was initially assumed to form an anti-monastic movement by those who had opposed Edgar's reforms, but it may quite simply have been a land grab. Finally, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle records that ever after that it greatly grew in evil. So basically, Edward's reign didn't get off to a good start. In the interim, Elfrith took care of her stepson Edward, but the accession of her own son couldn't have been far from her thoughts. The great controversy about Elfrith's reputation depends on the events of the year 978. So let's spend a bit of time looking at what actually happened and what the different views of those events are. Edward was said to have gone to visit Ethelred at Elfrith's castle at Corf. On returning from the hunt, and before even dismounting, Edward was stabbed to death by overzealous thanes who may have anticipated advancement and preferment under Ethelred. 
Edward's body was unceremoniously buried at Wareham, where it lay undetected for nearly a year. Edward's remains were moved later to Shaftesbury. No one was ever punished for the crime. Suspicion of Alfred's complicity, if not of Ethelred's, hung long in the air. The entry in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reads as this. In this year, on the 18th of March, King Edward was murdered in the evening at Corfe, and that he was said slain in the evening at Corfgate, buried at Wareham without any royal honour. No worse deed than this was ever done. Britfirth of Ramsey wrote a near-contemporary account of Edward's death. Now he says that Edward inspired in all not only fear but even terror, for he scourged them not only with his words but truly with blows. He goes on to suggest that Edward was killed by thanes or noblemen who supported Ethelred. It was only later chroniclers that lay the blame firmly with Elfrith and the myth of the evil stepmother is established. William of Malmesbury, for example, says, On his arrival, alluring him to her with female blandishments, she made him fix his attention upon herself, and after saluting him while he was eagerly drinking from the cup which had been presented, the dagger of an attendant pierced him through. Malmesbury also claims that Edward was king in name only and had devolved all power to both Elfrith and Ethelred while he went off pursuing the pious ways of his father. Elfrith then grew ever resentful of Edward and plotted his downfall. Later chroniclers blame Elfrith for the murder, saying that she would stop at nothing to put her son on the throne. She is said to have one, stabbed Edward herself as she offered him a drink, or two, issued the order for her men to kill him. And these are theories advanced variously by Henry of Huntingdon, Florence of Worcester and Roger of Wendover. The Life of St Oswald, written about the year 1000, names no killers, whilst a sermon by the Archbishop Wolfston in 1014 refers to the murder but again ascribed no names to the killers. Whatever the true story, the facts that don't seem to be at dispute are that Edward arrived unarmed and without any fear of attack at Corfe Castle where he was a guest of his stepmother. He was then killed, and the body was hurriedly disposed of in a swamp. His remains were duly exhumed, taken to St Mary's Abbey at Wareham and buried in 979. His body was then exhumed again and buried at Shaftesbury Convent, before being finally interred at Canterbury after Elfrith's own death. However, Athelred wasn't crowned until 979. The ceremony was performed by St Dunstan, who reputedly cursed him throughout, which would have been a bit off-putting, and St Dunstan had previously put forth an alternative candidate in the form of an illegitimate daughter of Edgar, who wisely chose to remain in her nunnery at Wilton. So the question is, if the murder of Edward was pre-planned, why was there no hasty coronation afterwards to consolidate his position? The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, in fact, says that Athelred's coronation brought great joy to the councillors of the king. When her son Ethelred succeeded, aged about 12 years old, he'd already married Elf Gifu as part of a strategy to win support for his succession. But his wife was never consecrated as queen. Elf Gifu had ten children, including four sons. But despite this, Elfrith overshadowed her, and Elfrith seems to have been responsible for bringing up her grandchildren. Elfrith is named in the charters of her son as both queen and queen mother, and she played a significant role in the new court, whatever the suspicion about the death of Edward. And even when Ethelred declared himself of age at 16 years old in 984, she continued to dominate the court until her death. Many surmise that Elfrith was filled with remorse over her alleged involvement in the murder of her stepson, and as a result, and as a means of penance, she endowed churches, supported Wawel Abbey, and built the monastery of Amesbury in 980. 
But what many tend to forget is that Elfrith was already a deeply pious woman and a great supporter of religion. That she should in the autumn of her life continue with these works would come as no surprise. Elfrith was said to have become a nun at Werewell in 986. It must be remembered that this was the most common option for women of the time and not just royal women. Here she is said to have died and was buried. Ethelred granted privilege to the Werewell for the benefit of her soul in 1002. The death of her daughter-in-law, Elfgifu, followed shortly thereafter. Only after Elthrith's death was another Queen of England ever anointed. Unfortunately for Elthrith, her reputation continued to suffer a severe battering. Not only was she accused of the murder of her first husband, she was accused of being unfaithful to both husbands. The Historia Aliensis recounts the story of one Abbot Berthnoth, who, en route to the Council of King Edgar, attended a call of nature in the New Forest. Here he came upon Elfrith making a potion which would transform her into a horse and thus satiate her carnal lust. When he appeared at court, it is claimed that she attempted to seduce him into silence, and when that failed, she killed him by inserting a heated sword into his bowels. But it's the murder of her stepson Edward, to which all hold her solely accountable, and for which she'll always be unjustly remembered. Because it's claimed that history is written by the victors, although in these early times it was written by the clergy, to whom Elfrith often found herself at odds. Could she have hoped for a fair and unbiased retelling of events? It's highly doubtful. We'll never know the whole truth surrounding the events of the death of Edward, nor will we ever fully know what role, if any, Elfrith did play. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. I thought it was great. So my grateful thanks to Melisande Boutremer, and don't forget her website, womenofhistory.blogspot.com. And meanwhile, as ever, have a great week and see you all soon.